Every great story has a villain. Star Wars has Darth Vader. Batman has the Joker. Superman has Lex Luthor. Spider-Man has Green Goblin. Braveheart has Longshanks. The Three Little Pigs have the Big Bad Wolf. Peter Pan has Captain Hook. The Wizard of Oz has the Wicked Witch of the West. Cinderella has the Stepmother. Sleeping Beauty has Maleficent. Snow White has the Queen. Aladdin has Jafar. Lion King has Scar. Toy Story has Sid, Stinky Pete, Lotso, and that creepy doll from the fourth one. And Frozen has Prince Han. The greatest story of all time, or as Max Lucado put it, the story, this the story of God, this grand story that we're all caught up in. We're really footnotes in the story. We're not the main character. There is a villain. There is conflict. There is tension. There is, as the Bible calls, the evil one. And we have a need to pray for deliverance. Some people make much of the evil one, and they get really kind of worked up about him or take this really weird fascination with him. When I was beginning to be a pastor, I had someone half-jokingly tell me, Drew, never preach about the end times, spiritual warfare, or the devil, or your church will become like a blizzard. I didn't understand what they meant, and they explained it. They said, if you teach on those things, every flake in the city will come out to your church. And it was kind of a half-joke on uh, sometimes the people who take a very unhealthy interest in spiritual warfare or the devil tend to be a little flaky. So some people err on that side and they make much about the evil one. And then there's people who are on the other ditch and they make um, very little and, or even discount uh, the devil and they make jokes about him. Could it be Satan? <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Today we finish our study on the Lord's Prayer. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer all of Lent for now six weeks. It is really the best model to pray. It's over 2,000 years old. It's tried and true. And our heart behind it has been to teach people not to say the words of the Lord's Prayer, but to pray the heart behind the Lord's Prayer. So today we end with the last petition, uh, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Uh, I'm really sitting back and marveling at the timing of all of this. Um, Back in October, Shari and I went on a two-day retreat to Medina, Texas, to just to get away and to kind of refresh. And while I was tending uh, two fires, because the only thing better than one campfire is two, I began to sense the Holy Spirit speak to me and impress upon me to teach through the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of 2020. And so on October 16th, 2019, I grabbed a piece of paper that I found and I quickly wrote down all the dates and all of the kind of the scope and sequence of those teachings. And I came to this date and I wrote it down and to the right of it, I put the Father's Deliverance. Now, obviously, none of us back in October had any idea what COVID-19 was, nor could we look into the future and look at February, March, and April, May, however long in this year, and look at how our entire globe is dealing with this crisis. 
but God knew. And he has known exactly what we need each week. As I look back on um, praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, on giving us our daily bread, uh, for, uh, forgiving us as we forgive others, leading us and guiding us and saying, let there be light. And even now, praying, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Just the timing of this is really amazing. And I'm really grateful that God has led us in this. I hope it's blessed you as it's blessed me. Every week has been a timely word to me. And I get the joy of just opening my hand and sharing to you what God is speaking to me. I've heard from many of you that it's helping. And so it's awesome. This is great. Also, today is Palm Sunday, and it is a day where we celebrate uh, Jesus entering the holy city triumphantly throughout all the Gospels. It says that he set his face towards Jerusalem like flint, like he resolutely went to the cross. He was not an innocent bystander or someone who um, got uh, killed randomly. He willingly walked in and laid his life down to triumph over all evil. And so today is that one of the high, high days of the year, all about Christ's victory and his triumph over evil. As we're talking about deliverance from evil, it's all perfect. It's as if someone planned it besides me. So let's remind ourselves how Jesus taught us to pray. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 6. Or if you want to pull it up in the Bible app, we'll have all of our notes in the Bible app. You can look at, uh, there's a link in the description below. And we'll just read this part in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. In verse 9, chapter 6, he says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A great prayer model. And again, in verse nine, he says, this is how you should pray, not what you should pray. Although obviously praying the words are helpful. We're going to start with the end. So deliver us from evil. We'll start with evil and work back to deliverance and then kind of what we can do practically in this prayer. The first question you have to ask is, what is evil? A lot of people ask, what is evil and why did God create it? Now, uh, Augustine did some thinking years ago on this and has been a a great help that you can um, look up and read. But quite simply, um, God didn't create evil because evil is not a thing. Uh, Evil is really the absence of good. Just like darkness isn't a physical thing, darkness is the absence of light. Or if you take a picture and there's a shadow, that shadow is really a hole in the light. Evil is very similar. Evil being the absence of goodness or in some ways a shadow in in goodness where, where God's goodness isn't there. That's what evil is. Obviously, God created everything and it was good. He didn't create evil. He created a world where we could choose to not do what God calls good. And therefore, we live in a world where we have the capacity to choose evil. We have a world where all around us, we are swimming in the residue of the evil that others have bring into this world. We ourselves have evil inclinations inside of us. The Bible calls those you know, iniquities or a bent towards sin or a bent uh, or a disposition towards evil. God didn't create evil. 
He allows evil, though, which is really incredible to think about. It brings us to the edges of our human reasoning and understanding and wisdom. But why could a good God allow evil to happen? Well, in God's wisdom, he often uses evil to backfire on the evil one to bring about good. Joseph is a great example of this. In Genesis 50, Joseph says, the classic text, um, what to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God is really good at using the schemes of the evil to actually bring about good in the world and according to God's plan. Further, think of all the virtues that we would not have if evil didn't exist. Without evil, there'd be no courage. There'd be no mercy, patience, forgiveness. There'd be no giving of comfort when someone is in need. There'd be no heroism in celebrating people who run to the front lines to help those who are in need. There'd be none of that if there weren't for evil. There's no perseverance. There's no faithfulness or self-control, long-suffering, submission, or obedience. Just to start with, none of these virtues would exist without the presence of evil in our world. So in a really mind-boggling way, evil being allowed in our world actually makes us better because it grows us up. It causes us to lean into more of God. It causes us to depend on more of the Holy Spirit. It, as James says, it causes perseverance and character, and it grows us into the people God has designed us to be. That's how God works through evil in spite of the evil one's intentions. The sobering reality is that God is often at work in ways that most of us don't recognize. Often we get caught in the weeds on things and we um, get so close to issues that we have trouble zooming out and seeing where is God at work, even when I can't recognize it. We could ask this question right now. How is God working in us through this COVID-19 situation? It wasn't God's idea. I don't believe it was God's idea, but God can, can work through it. He can cause it um, to bring about good in our lives and in our world and in his kingdom. So that's what evil is. Um, God allows evil, but he doesn't promote evil. Satan promotes evil. The name Satan simply means adversary. It's not even a proper name as we give people uh, proper names. It's fascinating that there really isn't a single name for Satan. It's, you would probably be better saying the Satan because it's the accuser. Um, but it's like he's such a low creature, he's not even worth having a name in the scriptures. But the scriptures give a lot of uh, kind of nicknames or descriptions of him because of what he does. In Revelation 12 and 20, he's called the great dragon, the serpent of old, and the accuser. In Matthew 4, he's called the tempter. In Matthew 6, he's called the evil one. In Ephesians 2, he's called the prince of the power of air. In Matthew 13, he's called the enemy. In John 8, he's called a murderer and the father of lies. In 2 Corinthians 4, he's called the God of the sage. In 2 Corinthians 11, he's called the angel of light. In Matthew 4, Acts 5, 1 Corinthians 7, 
First uh, Timothy three, First Corinthians ten, First Corinthians eleven, and Second Corinthians four. He's called the one who comes to tempt, seduce, deceive, falsify, counterfeit, and confuse. Just to get started, all of those kind of nicknames of the Satan or the accuser or the enemy or the evil one reveal his character to destroy, deceive, as Jesus said, to steal, kill, and destroy to divide, to hurt and harm, to bring people onto the side of evil, to get people out of goodness and into the absence of goodness. This is the evil one. Now, this is the part where people who take this seriously might be tempted to freak out and get overwhelmed. And what I want to say to you is as we talk about the evil one and as we talk about praying deliver us from evil, you don't need to be overwhelmed. You don't need to be afraid. However, you need to be alert. We don't need to be afraid when it comes to the evil one, but we do need to be alert. The reality is that Satan and his demons and the kingdom of darkness are real. If you just pay attention, you can feel and see his effects everywhere in our world. Just turn on the news. But Jesus is stronger. Jesus is greater. A lot of times people have this idea that, that, um, that Jesus and the enemy are on these equal uh, playing fields and that there's this massive cosmic tug of war or this like cosmic political um, fight that they're going through. And the scriptures don't teach it like this, they, they say uh, Jesus has been given all authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. So instead of it being like this, it's more like, and then we're just gonna take him out of the picture. It's not even a fight. It's not even a contest. There's a story in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus cast out a demon, and the people are having issues figuring out um, how Jesus did this, and they kind of think he's um, on Satan's team. And, and so Jesus gives them this argument, and he says, you know, a house divided against, its fa- a house divided against itself can't fall. You've heard that used a, a lot. It comes from Jesus. But then he, there's this like throwaway comment he makes in Luke 11. I believe it's um, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12 of chapter 11. He says, if I cast out this evil spirit, by the finger of God. Just by the finger. So, so Jesus is saying, it's not this massive tug of war that when he overcomes the evil one, when he delivers people from the evil one, it's like you're shooing away a gnat or that you're like shooing away a fly with the finger of God. Not the arm, uh, imagine, all right? But not like the muscle of a, just the finger of God. Right? So we don't need to be overwhelmed and afraid. We just need to be alert and ready and willing to call upon the stronger man, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every follower of Jesus has a target on their back. If you have given your life to Christ, congratulations, you are a target for the enemy. Some people mistakenly believe when they give their life to Christ, everything's going to be rosy and easy and a cakewalk. Now, God does bless you, and life with Christ is far greater than life apart from Christ. But we're in a war. We are in the middle of what we call the already but not yet. Christ has already conquered the evil one, 
but he's not yet fully enforced it. This, we're in this massive transition right now until he comes again. And so we have the call to uh, resist the devil, to stand against him, to be watchful, to be prayerful, to know our place in the kingdom of heaven and know how to call upon the Holy Spirit and enforce the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's our duty in days like today. Now, if this kind of freaks you out, I would encourage you to read a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters, probably the best book um, on spiritual warfare that I've ever read. Or if you get a chance to see the Broadway play, it's fantastic. I've seen it twice. It's incredible. Um, It will really open your eyes to the reality of the evil one and the schemes of the evil one and the subtle tactics that he uses. So the good news in all this, as I've said repeatedly, you don't have to be overwhelmed. You don't need to be afraid. You need to be alert. And when it comes to spiritual warfare prayer, you don't have to do the heavy lifting. Uh, One of my good friends, Dave, recently said, you know, intensity is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that when it comes to praying for deliverance from the evil one, you don't have to hoot and holler and like work yourself up. Now, you, you might need to prevail and you might need to be persistent and you might need to fast and pray. And there's times where Jesus says, well, this one only comes out by fasting and prayer. You don't need to be involved in a circus to do it. It's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It is not um, lead us not into temptation and then help us overcome the evil one. When we pray or even cry out, deliver us, at the most basic level, deliver us is a confession that we need help from the outside that God is our refuge and strength, that he's a very present help in time of need. Not, not we just need a little bit of help. He's all the help we need. Here's a couple of scriptures just to remind us of what God has already done. A popular uh, text that we read around Easter is Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It's um, very familiar to Ephesians 2, if you know Ephesians 2. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here's the phrase. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, this um, text, the early church fathers used to teach uh, Christus Victus or Christ Victorious out of here. And this image that they would give, which is so beautiful, is, is imagine Christ on the cross on the hill of Golgotha and all of hell's armies and all of the arms and the weapons that, that, the, that the, the kingdom of darkness had brought everything to bear upon Christ on the cross. And when they took all their arms, uh, their weapons, and they you know, stuck them into the body of Christ on the cross to kill him, right? They, they stuck. Th- that, in other words, that through Christ on the cross, he, by taking the penalty for our evil inclinations, he disarmed them and removed the weapons from their hands. And then, as was an ancient world custom, paraded them around in the streets to embarrass them. 
I love that image of Christ taking the weapons of the enemy and like disarming and removing all the ammo and rendering the enemy powerless. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And in Revelation 12, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. That's what God has done. Now, here's what we can do. In James 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want to add a scripture to that and kind of create a, a hybrid list of things we can do when we need deliverance from evil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, here's where it gets practical. If, when, you find yourself in a situation where you feel the absence of God's goodness in your life, whether that's like a major, major spiritual battle where you can feel it, or just a real low grade, I don't sense God's presence. And you need to be um, delivered from evil or the evil one or an evil situation, whether that's externally or internally. Here's some things based on these two scriptures you could kind of make a checklist and run down. I encourage you to write these down and put them in your Bible or make a note on your phone. Humble yourself and submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. In other words, confess your sin and allow um, Christ to come and purify you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The great invitation of Christ is that um, he doesn't give us anxieties. He gives us rest. So the invitation for you today is to bring all your anxieties, fears, and worries to him, and in exchange, take the rest that he has for your soul. Last, be sober-minded, be watchful, be alert. We're sober-minded, watchful, and alert right now uh, for good reason. I've never washed my hands more than in the last two weeks. I am watchful, 
sober-minded, alert. I'm paying attention to, am I touching my face? Um, what have I touched before I eat? We are constantly on high alert, as we should be. And we should be like that spiritually all the more. We should constantly be alert to the schemes of the evil one around us. Jesus did not teach us to pray, deliver us from evil as if it were a suggestion. It is our lifeline to him. The gospel is this. We need deliverance from evil. There is the world, there is our flesh, and there is the devil. My friends, we are no match for sin. We are no match for the evil inclinations inside of us or the evil circumstances that are outside of us. We need a Savior. We need a Lord. We need the King of Kings to come and do all of the lifting, not just the heavy lifting. This is what this week is all about, is that Christ set his face towards Jerusalem for you, for me, for all of the absence of evil that's in his world that he created that was good. He's the answer. This is Holy Week. Today is the beginning of Holy Week. I would encourage you to follow Jesus, to spend some more time thinking on him, praying to him, reading about him. I love Palm Sunday because it's this brief and bright festival at the end of Lent. And then, you know, Lent's kind of dark, and then there's Palm Sunday, which is bright, and then it gets really dark all week. Palm Sunday is so significant, it's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Today's a huge day. I want to read my favorite quote that I've ever read regarding Palm Sunday by a guy named Bobby Gross. He said, Let Palm Sunday mark your entry into this most holy of weeks. Indeed, it is a week to follow him and to enter vicariously into his suffering. In your heart, lay your coat in the road before him. Wave your palm branch over him and shout your hosannas to him. This joyous welcome will help us remember over the rest of Holy Week that the suffering servant has become the triumphant king. Where do you need deliverance right now? And are you trying to handle it on your own? My friends, we are no match for sin for evil, for death, for the father of lies, for the Satan. We are no match. Where do you need the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who has all authority to come in and deliver you from evil inside of you or an evil situation around you? Consider making a note with those six things you can do. Or consider adding to that these six deliverance prayers that we're going to now pray as we close. A couple weeks ago, we prayed the Great Litany together, which is this fantastic, comprehensive prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. There are these six petitions of deliverance that are so helpful right now. And so I want to remind us all of it. We'll we'll, um, pray them together as we put them on the screen. Um, I'll read the regular part in um, out loud wherever you are. I encourage you to read the part that's in bold and to um, pray, deliver us from evil. From all evil and wickedness, from sin, from the works and assaults of the devil, from your wrath and everlasting condemnation, good Lord, deliver us. From all blindness of heart, from pride, vanity, and hypocrisy, from envy, hatred, and malice, 
And from all lack of charity, good Lord, deliver us. From all disordered and sinful affections, and from all the deceits of the world, the flesh and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. From all false doctrine, heresy, and schism, from hardness of heart and contempt of your word and commandments, good Lord, deliver us. From lightning and tempest, from earthquake, fire, and flood, from plague, pestilence, and famine, good Lord, deliver us. From all oppression, conspiracy, and rebellion, from violence, battle, and murder, and from dying suddenly and unprepared, good Lord, deliver us. Amen.